everyone. Welcome to AMT's Tech Trends Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. I am Benjamin Moses, the Director of Technology, and I'm here with... Stephen Lamarga, AMT's Technology Analyst. Steve, welcome back to the creative studio. We're back in the studio, man. Uh, it feels so good to be back in the studio. <laughs> I can't I can't wait to listen to like the first 30 seconds of this podcast once we got the recording yeah. locked down to hear how much better my audio quality is going to be <laughs> that we're recording to the same device. Well, let's not get carried away. It took me a, a little while to get the system back up and running after That's true. a year. <laughs> That's true. We'll see how this bird's nest does. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, see, before we get into some articles, man, I, I got to rant a little bit. Yes, let's I, hear it. I'm really tired of dynamic robots. Dyna- Boston, Boston Dynamics? Boston Dynamics, their spot AGV dancing. Yeah. I saw an article. They're dancing to some... Uh, Korean uh, K-pop band BTS. Oh, I'm, I'm done with Spot being a YouTuber. <laughs> that's that's Hyundai taking ownership. That's <laughs> yeah, definitely Hyundai taking the ownership. crossover to K-pop. <laughs> yeah, that's like well, they've got to have fun with you know Korean music somehow. Yeah, so yeah. why not? How am I supposed to take a, a seventy thousand dollar? I was amazed when they said well, you could just buy it online. How am I supposed <laughs> to take this seriously if there's dancing videos and public outrage of the police using them? What am oh I supposed God. to do? <laughs> Yeah. Um, without getting into like the police part too much where they should be spending their money on training <laughs> instead of toys. Uh, and that's as far as I will go with that. Um, but uh, uh, I, I really want to see spot being used for more industrial applications. Absolutely. And I know it will. Yep. And I know it's it's a shiny new toy. So people and people saw dancings. So they were like. <laughs> Well, for our first step of like setting this thing up, why don't we try to make it dance too? So I, sure, I understand sure. that. And and Hyundai's the new owner. They want to have fun with their new toy. <laughs> they saw it advertised as dancing. Yep. They're going to have it dance too. But I am ready to see it used for industrial applications. In fact, I do know one industrial application of Spot. And there is some company that's making some product and it's probably in like Brooklyn, New York with an old warehouse, an old school warehouse, not right. a modern warehouse. They're making their products. They're, you know, storing them in warehouse. And then when they get orders, they move it from the storage to shipping and receiving, box it up, package it and ship it. Um, because it's an old warehouse, it has multi levels. Yep. The old warehouse was designed for humans to be doing all of that work not robots so instead of a standard wheeled agv that you know is working in an amazon warehouse um you know they need something that can navigate stairs go up and down stairs and be able to carry a lot of product from one side of a, a warehouse or factory to shipping and receiving right so that's the first known like yeah. like serious known application for spot, but I'm I'm with you. I want to see it used in a serious manner, more yeah. like that, because that's great. Yeah, it can go up and down stairs beautifully. And I and I think that's a very good compromise because setting up a warehouse for like a true AMR or um, AGV, mm-hmm. like a warehouse one, was got little casters basically yeah, and yeah. skates all around. It takes a fair amount of work to get lighting right, to get the floor constructed properly, so you can guide the vehicle along, to set up the the racks so you can access everything. Yeah. Going so something more flexible system like Spot makes a lot of sense, especially for a test, right? If you got a warehouse, you're like, can I do this? I don't know. Spend a hundred thousand dollars outfitting Spot the dog with an arm and a and a cart in the back. Have it load that cart and see, figure out if you can roll around and get it in this uh, adverse environment. So right. I really like that idea, and I agree with you, man. I I just want to see more videos of it doing stuff. Doing yeah. 
industrial stuff, not dancing. You know, speaking of which, um, what was really funny uh, recently, um, my after work, um, my friends and I got on to on on Discord to fire up some games, and on one of our gaming nights, uh, we decided to play a game called uh, Destiny sure. instead of our typical game, which Escape from Tarkov. I'm sorry to hear that, by the way. What you played Destiny? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's. It, I mean, it's it's fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. And, and it's a beautiful game sure, too, sure. Uh, even though it's kind of old. Yeah. Destiny too, by the way. Um, but uh, they're like because I'm like new to the game. I'm like level one or whatever. I think I'm in the teens now. But sure. anyway, they got me started in the game, and they're navigating me through this like area where you like pick up items, quest items, and like missions and whatnot. And it's just like I don't know what's going on. This is. It's pretty game. I like playing it, and I'm glad you're here walking me through it, but I'm not playing this by myself. Right, I'm glad you right. guys are here. Anyway, going through this area, and I see this humanoid robot um, sweeping the floor okay, with, like, this old wooden broom. <laughs> sure. And I'm like, in today's dollars, that's got to be, like, a quarter-million-dollar robot. <laughs> if it was to exist today, right, right, and it's using, like, a $3 Walmart broom <laughs> – to sweep the floor. This yeah. is a terrible use of automation, <laughs> but at least it's not dancing. <laughs> I completely agree with all fronts. I mean, it's getting smarticles. You got a really good one to kick it off. Yeah, about, yeah. Uh, it was, we're talking about robots. Yeah. Um, so, and we're gearheads. Yep. Uh, we love our cars. One of the most, a, a really exciting uh, annual event in the car world that happens uh, it's, it's, it is a mild competition. And I say that because it's while it is competitive and they do record lap times and, and there are records to be broken and whatnot, they don't, nobody there takes it too seriously, but it's the Goodwood festival of speed. Right. And in England, um, this rich dude, the Lord of March, who's <laughs> probably, you know, has been made a saint or whatever. No, not a saint, a knight. A knight I don't know, man. I don't yeah. know how that stuff works. <laughs> you know, we're, we're in a freedom country. <laughs> Um, but uh, this rich dude, the Lord of March, opens up every year his property um, for the Goodwood Festival of Speed. And one of the events is a hill climb. Right. Uh, which is a time trial, you know, race from one end to the another to start to finish. Um, it's not like a lap. It's just a straight shot. Well, not a straight shot, but yeah, I'm, I'm getting into the weeds too much. Um it's a time trial. It's not against like other cars at the same time. Right. It's just from start to finish. They measure your time. See what you can do. And some of the vehicles that they have go up this hill climb, which is this dude, the Lord of March is just, it's his driveway. <laughs> it's his like, like give or take two mile driveway right. that they're doing this time trial up. And, but anyway, he's just showing off his money, which good for him. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't want to be a hater. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the people that show up were, well, the vehicles that show up, the people who are on display, right. who, who are exhibiting their wares, their metal are, you know, new uh, car manufacturers that want to show off their upcoming years, model sports car, right. Or, um, you know, a bunch of other old rich dudes that have restored these classic racing cars, um, like the, uh, the beast of Turin, right. Uh, an old, like four cylinder Fiat race car. <laughs> That has like 16 liters of displacement <laughs> in a four cylinder. That's great. And it has like straight pipes. So, like, there's yeah. just flames coming out of the side of the engine. Yeah. It doesn't even have exhaust pipes. There's just ports. <laughs> the exhaust, the flames yeah. are coming out of the exhaust. It's wild. Um, people who've restored cars like that yeah. do the hill climb. They're not really trying to 
set the sure. best lap time. They just want to show that, look, we got this thing running. <laughs> yeah. Not only do I have the money to ha- get this thing running, <laughs> I've got the money to potentially wreck it right here Absolutely. and kill myself on this dude's driveway. And they run these cars hard. They're not. They run them really hard. They yeah. flog them. Yep. Um, and, you know, you got other things like, you know, last year's win- uh, a championship winning Formula One car right. or Le Mans car driven by, you know, the current Formula One world champion or, uh, you know, the winner of uh, the 24 hours of Le Mans, the, the drivers will show up there. It's yep. basically an exhibition. It's not right. really a competition. It's an exhibition. They're just showing off wares. And, and it's fun for people who are into that kind of stuff. A new exhibitor showed up this year. Yep. And I don't I certainly I'm a fan of both industries, the right. automotive industry and manufacturing or agricultural in this case. And I was not expecting this and I loved it. But a company showed up with their autonomous agricultural robot that they developed to replace, you know, a a conventional tractor and driver farmer. Right. So it's just like wheeled, but like spider looking robot. That's really cool. And it's just it's, it's just a farming tool. Yep. But uh and, and it's not made to go fast. I mean, at the end of the day, it's replacing a tractor and a tractor driver. Correct. But uh, and, and it's supposed to be like harvesting stuff. Yeah. It showed up so. to the Goodwood Festival <laughs> speed and it did a run. That's it awesome. did a run up the time trial. And it's yeah. just like, yeah, that was really cool. But, That's cool uh, to see. And uh, when we were talking about this earlier, I mean, there have been like completely driverless vehicles that have mm-hmm. shown up in the past and they don't fare too well. <laughs> no, it's a tough environment no. for like. So if we look at like the. Uh, um vision system that's required it's like a it's a hill climb but it's fairly yeah. flat there's a lot of like haystacks on the side or hay bales and it's it's kind of hard to discern the turns and the the track itself i mean it's a hard mm-hmm. it's a hard um hill climb because yep. it's narrow again it's, it's a narrow. driveway <laughs> it's not a track it's a driveway yeah and it's hard for human like professional humans like like yeah. lamont formula one winners to really get this thing yeah. this track down and really get the best line possible up this, let alone automation. Yeah. And, you know, when automation, the best case scenario, an autonomous vehicle um, is just unimpressive. unimpressive it just, it, it, it navigates it, yeah. but it has it goes a into slow safe lap mode. time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it goes into safe <laughs> mode. Uh, there have been some cases where a have seen an autonomous vehicle just like spin wheels as soon as the flag drops. Yep. Spin wheels does a great display of like a burnout and just goes straight <laughs> and, and ends up like crashing into a bunch of hay bales. And it's like the yeah. thing never saw yeah. one to turn. <laughs> awesome, Steve. Uh, I got an article on uh, material sciences. Um, and I thought it was an interesting look at where we are uh, as a society in terms of how we design materials for the entire life cycle. So we've been talking about uh, designing like designer materials as like specific applications. So instead of grabbing like a standard Inconel 625 mm-hmm. person standard AMS uh, specification, uh, designing a very specific material for a very specific application. So kind of a uh, niche material design. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple of use cases have come up when they're like retrofitting like gears on helicopters or a casing where the gears are failing all the time because of um, either the configuration uh, it's too much stress for that material. So they design a specific material that can handle that scenario. Yeah. And it, it seems to work out. It happens all the time in helicopters. It's happening more and more I often. I feel like helicopters get all of the specialty alloys. <laughs> but I'm sorry, go on, go on. Uh, in this case, you know, the article from uh, Kijil Times talks about um, going to a circular economy for materials. So the uh, 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 um, 
uh, statistic that I talk about is uh, Apple, you know, they're, they're a big manufacturing company in retrospect, right? They're uh, elect- uh, consumer electronics, but they revealed that they only you recycle 10% of their material, which is fairly mm. interesting because they, you know, they do buy back. They do get all their all, a lot of their old phones back. Yeah. But in the whole overall scheme of things of all their products, only 10% of their material is recyclable. And that could be for a variety of things, right? Semicon is very difficult to recycle. Yeah. But, PCBs. You know, yeah. It, it, and it's uh, it's interesting. So the article talks about using uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning to develop new alloys that can be extracted from their uh, end product that can be <gasps> helping help to recycle oh, yeah. that material more. So it's getting to instead of 10%, you know, maybe in a bunch of years, we can get to like 40, 50% by just designing materials that can be extracted from an assembly. And I think that's one of the biggest issues that you see is, right, you've got, like you said, a PCB has got uh, metal traces on it. Yeah. How do you extract those metal traces? You got to break it up or you got to it. it or burn it, right? You know, just let it melt out. Yeah, exactly. So, And then you got to make a new alloy that yep. has a good amount, a good portion of its construction of whatever metal was in those traces. Exactly. So cool. it's it's driving the change further upstream as opposed to let's figure out how to just get the material out easier. Well, that's one scenario, right? But also if we can design the materials on the front end where you can extract the material. So, you know, I, I, for me, the big takeaway is that there's going to be new materials coming out like every other month. I feel like that yeah. we're going to have to figure out how to machine, what's the machine ability, what's the formability, how do I heat treat this thing? So there's a lot of kind of R&D and kind of manufacturing experimentation is going to have to occur yeah. with a lot of these materials in the future. Yeah. Um, I, materials are fun. <laughs> I really do like materials. I yeah. mean, I, I love uh, sounding like a broken record and talking about how Inconel was designed, developed like 60, 70 years ago. It's <laughs> right. old as hell. Still going like strong. It is, it is not a new material, yep. but it's new that it, it, what's new about it is our ability to finally work with it. <laughs> we have the technology to finally work with it with additive and yeah. modern cutting tools. You know, we can finally work with the stuff. But I, I think a problem is marketing. Sure. You know, sure. electronics are a hot commodity. Right. They're a big consumer item. And We've already proven with the fact that virtually all electronics are produced with slave labor that consumers don't care. Sure. They don't care about how recyclable it is. Right. What is cool, what they do care about, what they what some one thing that does offer them the sexy bragging rights of their new piece of tech is the material developed specially for it. Fair. Fair. And I, I agree. I, as much as I love material science and the development and the movement forward in materials and specialty alloys for stuff coming out today, it's excessive and it's unnecessary. Right. And to some degree, it, it is wasteful. It's not to some degrees. It is wasteful. Um, regardless of if your alloy is like the most recyclable alloy right. ever, that's great. But it's still wasteful in that, you know, these companies, Apple is focusing on, you know, what's the most recyclable material we can design. They're thinking about what they can sell. They're right, thinking about right. the buzzword, the material science that they can sell to their sure. consumers when they come out with their new phone next month. Right. Um, they're not thinking about, well, what e-waste can we cut down on? That's fair. You know, when, when Microsoft, I think a lot of these companies really need to think, start thinking about e-waste more. Yeah. Dell needs to stop packaging their computers with their awful mice and keyboards <laughs> that are just going to end up in a landfill or in a swirl in the ocean. Uh, Microsoft really needed to think about um, the whole 
education behind like the TPM requirement for right. Microsoft 11. Yep. Because when that thing came out, when when they had their press conference, their uh, their Zoom meeting, really, <laughs> that went that was aired terribly, right. by the way. Um, everybody like a lot of people I know started freaking out about TPMs and they're sold out right now. Yep. Nobody cares about graphics cards right now. <laughs> they're trying to get a, like a $10 TPM for right. their, to make their gaming PC that they spent thousands of dollars on relevant so they can get windows 11 as soon as possible. <laughs> Not that it even matters no, right now no. when Microsoft should have been like, okay, don't worry. It's still in development. <laughs> if you want to be on the inside, you know, you can sign up for Microsoft Insider, but you need a TPM. And before you go to CDW or Newegg or Amazon and buy a TPM to get them all sold out because nobody's used to buying them right. and uh, sellers are not used to keeping them on the shelves. You know, they should have Microsoft should have educated people. You might actually have one in your <laughs> CPU right. or on your motherboard already. And here's how to enable it in your registry. Yep. Please don't fiddle with your registry unless you were a power <laughs> user. And, and but like because they had the TPM requirement, which is kind of silly, but I also get it. And, right. and, you know, they did a study that says that, like, you know, computers enabled that have a TPM on them that is enabled mm -hmm. are 60 percent less likely to deal experience any malware mm. viruses or hacking which is a really big deal yeah. and, and really cool stat uh, statistic um but uh at at the same time because they didn't convey that message properly yep. and how to enable your tpm if you already have one yet it's disabled so you think oh i don't have one i need <laughs> to buy 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 right now right that's generating a bunch of e-waste. These yeah. companies need to think about that stuff more and, often. And I think uh, I love the material science and to get back to the topic. But like like I would I would change the idea of marketing to back to the previous topic of education, like the idea of to your, to your point. Right. Do I have a TPM chip? That's the first question you should ask. Do, do I have it? Do I need it? You know, there's a lot more to just defining a set of needs and then just throwing out in the world. Right. I think I agree. I completely agree with you that uh, there needs to be more information and more tools. Like, so to figure out, do I even have one on board? Like that has never come up in the past. I don't know how long have I built a computer since uh, 97, let's say that has never a TPM device or module has never come up in any of the builds that I've been doing in the past, you know, was that 30 some years, yeah. 20 some years. Right. And now all of a sudden the hot buzzword, like, how do, can you can you give me a utility i can push a button and say yes i have this no i don't right yeah so I, I, I the education side of uh, uh technology implementation i think is definitely lagging and connecting that yeah. need and, and these to, are these are pc power users yeah, yeah. that don't know what a tpm is or how to determine whether or not they have one right. or even maybe they do have one but it's not enabled yeah. so they immediately yeah. think that they don't have one cuz the their system reads that they don't have one these are pc power users yep. and we're trying to convey to <laughs> the least power users <laughs> the manufacturing industry yeah. who you know a lot of machine tools that are windows based uh, have windows based controls on their yep. cncs are still running like windows 2000 or windows <laughs> yeah. nt and these are the guys like crying about cyber security, yep. cyber physical security. And how can I stop these? How can I prevent hackers from ruining my, uh, my product line? It's like, well, you know, <laughs> when it comes to TPM, not even power users yeah. can figure it out. Yeah. So well, it's it's just more silicon ending up in the ocean. Let's talk about mill spec. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that rant, but it's necessary. <laughs> I mean, last thing, last thing. 
the the whole Windows like thing with Windows 11 and the TPM chips like that happened. Uh, that that press conference happened like two weeks ago. I want to say fairly recent. Yeah, Linus Tech Tips came out with the the power users of power users came out with a video yesterday right. explaining like what's going on <laughs> and how to prevent this and yeah. don't order a TPM chip right. just yet. Like not it took them two weeks to figure out like all right what's going on here. It you requires know? a YouTube YouTuber to try and fix the world. <laughs> yes. Okay, so national stock numbers. Yes. Ben, you like mil-spec equipment? I love mil-spec equipment. You know, we're we're a bunch of gear junkies. We love, you know, the toys that the military uses. Who doesn't? Obviously, the police do. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, like if you're shopping around, like like for the longest time, I remember, you know, when I was in high school, um, you know, the big thing in the firearm industry was people wanted to buy, you know, Colt M4s, at least civilian versions of the Colt M4 that had as minimal parts changed from the actual military product line as possible. That's why you bought Colt. That's why you bought an AR-15 that was a Hartford horsey. Right. Because the LE 6902 or whatever the 6920, I forget what the Colt's product number at the time was. Literally all they changed to the, they they used a different lower receiver that didn't have the third hole drilled in there for the auto sear. They had still had a full auto. Well, actually, Colt changed a lot of things. They were very anti uh, uh, civilian consumer. Sure. But uh, anyway, people still bought Colts because they wanted close to, you know, Colt owned the T, the the TDP, the technical data package for the uh, military, U.S. military's M4 uh, carbine. Right. Um, anyway, M4 carbine, you know, the magazines that go into it that are made by OK Industries out of stamped aluminum, um, all that stuff. Uh, all that mil spec stuff, you know, mil spec. Let's talk about mil spec first. Mil spec just means the military decided that this product, this or this part for whatever tool it is, doesn't have to be a firearm. Um, when they determine something is mil spec or of military specification, they are determining that it is of the highest quality at the lowest price, right? Or at least. That's what they say. Sometimes they work with a company like like Sig, sure. and just like you give us the biggest uh, <laughs> order. Po- Sig is like you give us the or- biggest order possible. We'll give you the lowest price possible. Right. And then the military, the government's just like, yeah, we don't care if it works or not. This price is too good to pass up. Sometimes mil spec doesn't work, but sure. they, anyway, you know, junkies like us, civilians, you know, sometimes we really like mil spec stuff. But like the holy grail of of a mil spec indicator is if a part or a product has an NSN, a national stock number. Okay. Then you know that it's not just the manufacturer of said part that's saying, oh, this is mil spec. You know, you can you can say any manufacturer can say, yes, this follows the military specification that went out to the contract Correct. for the initial manufacturer. We're not the initial manufacturer that made this, but we are making it to military spec or to a higher specification, right. which is sometimes in most of the cases better. <laughs> Correct. But the ultimate indicator that something is mil spec is if it has an NSN, a national stock number. And I bring all of this up because a additive materials, an additive manufacturing materials manufacturer slash supplier okay. for nylon stock material yep. for use in 3D printing has officially been awarded the first additive material NSN. Wow. That's awesome. That's, so it's great news. You buy nylon 
filament yep. for your 3D printer from this manufacturer, you are buying mil-spec <laughs> filament, which is really cool. That's a big yeah, deal, that's, man. That's a huge deal for this additive. Is, this is huge for additive. Not only is it huge for like, you know, uh, nerds like us who like to buy <laughs> military spec equipment, but this is huge for additive because additive has needed um, uh, standards. Right. And we're starting to get a lot more standards in additive. But, you know, Dave Burns and, and Tim, or, you know, Tim can tell you that the biggest thing that's holding back additive right now is materials availability right. and material standardization. Yep. We've been getting a lot more standardizations, which is nice, but that's still not helping availability. Military specification, <laughs> as I mentioned with like, you know, kind of bashing SIG a little bit. Yep. You know, military like the government is only going to award an NSN. <laughs> to a company that can provide a lot of it. Yeah, Not only yeah. can it be of quality and of a low price, but you got to be able to produce a lot of it yep. and on demand. And you got to fill a massive contract relatively quickly. So they've been able to do this. That's and awesome. this is huge for additive because the, yep. again, the big bottleneck with additive lately has been material standards and material availability. This manufacturer of this filament, this, mm -hmm. this material, this nylon for, for 3d printing, Getting an NSN means that this stuff is quality. There's a lot of it and it's cheap. Yep. Absolutely. And it's a huge deal. It's it really awesome. And it, uh, I was thinking about this uh, in our prep that, you know, defining or giving a raw material, an NSN number is fairly forward thinking as opposed to defining what that shape is and saying it needs to be 3D printed. Yeah. Right. So it's looking up the stream that, you know, I didn't even additive will be part of the military's ecosystem now because they have this raw material. Right. Yeah. So. You know, the Even Ford if they're just making T-handle like front sight adjustment. <laughs> the, the U.S. Army has a ways to go to get <laughs> some adopt. But this is cool a huge step, and it's so cool. Yeah. And I didn't even think about that. I'm glad you said that because I don't think, I don't think a stock material has ever been award. Maybe, maybe I haven't an NSN number. Yeah, uh, I, that's a good question. I mean, we used to buy a lot of uh, mill standard raw material. Okay, so there's a lot of uh, raw materials that have been defined, like Inconel 625. Yeah. We used to buy a mill standard version of that. I'm actually but, eating my words right now because now I'm thinking of stuff like like uh, AR-15 bolts have right. to be made out of like CPM-154 uh, or right. something like that. I don't know. Right. But the fact that it's given an NSN number, it takes it to the next level that, hey, this is something that is in our future and would would just propagate it through our entire ecosystem. So it's it's a very fascinating look at it. And I'm glad to see that uh, the standards are moving forward with uh, additive and it's got a long way to go, but it's cool. It's still a long way to go. This huge <laughs> step forward. This is really cool. We'll get into uh, our next episode. I was thinking about um, this when you mentioned the, the other article that uh, security has been a big issue. Uh, recently, there was a big supply chain security thing that's come about. Now, we'll have more information that's being released, I think, that'll help us talk about this on the next episode. Uh, but the uh, one other person was talking about additive in the military space. Mm -hmm. And... Their question was, it's not a material or process uh, issue. It's a data rights and data security issue for additive in the military. Wow. So we'll get into that next episode because okay, I yeah, got a little bit of research should. to do uh, on both areas. But I think next episode we'll talk about cybersecurity. Yes, that sounds great. Was it my turn? Am I, I think so. Uh, did I talk about Oh, I thought you were uh, closing it out. No, no, no. We, I want to talk we about got one more. more. We got one more. Awesome. Let's end with this one since uh, let's end with the... Um, uh, auto, automotive based uh, uh, thing. And I thought that was really cool. So uh, the article is from uh, Composite World and it's about uh, AirTech 3D printed resin deliver composite tooling for competitive motorsports. 
So just like the uh, we're talking about the Goodwood Goodwill Goodwood Goodwood Goodwood, Goodwood Festival. <laughs> I don't think Goodwill will have a motorsports festival. I don't blame you for not watching it. It can be really boring. You really have to be into it. There's a lot of cars that run on that thing. So a lot of cars. It's I, easy to miss something that you want to see, and it goes on forever. The, I feel like it's an entire week. The fun, the it funniest section part. So. As the car, this is like a hundred cars lining up. And they have to go through and make like a U-turn to get into like the start mm-hmm. area. Some some cars will do a burnout, but sometimes the drivers aren't too super experienced with that car, and they'll stall like half of the way through yeah. that burnout. So doing that little U-turn, there's a lot of, we'll say problems <laughs> that I've seen. Yeah. So all right, let's get back to the article. The uh, so on motorsports, you know, there's a high emphasis on aerodynamics, mm-hmm. and obviously you want to minimize the uh, the weight impact of adding aerodynamic features. So adding wings, sure. splitters. Uh, small airfoils in the front. A lot of times they'll go to uh, composites like uh, uh, carbon fiber, right? Yeah. And so to manufacture carbon fiber, you take this weave um, and you lay it in a mold and then you apply resin to it. Uh, then you throw this big bag off over it to draw a suction so the resin evenly distributes over through the, um, through the um, carbon fiber. Then you shove the whole thing in an autoclave so it's uh, pressurized and it's in uh, a high temperature, right? And you pull it out. So it's very rough. Uh, and then you pull it off the mold, right? Um, so it's very rough on the mold itself, right? It's, you have uh, the wear and tear of applying the composites to it, but also just moving it around and then the temperature cycling through the uh, autoclave. Um, so what they've done, tip, normally that's like an aluminum mold. So if you design that, then you machine it. You know, it could be several feet long. It's a lot, it's a big mold, right? When you talk about molds, these are big molds usually. Uh, so they're very costly and, um, you know, time to achieve those molds is very long. So in this article, they talk about is using a, a 3D printed resin mold. So instead of, you know, aluminum that's been subtractively manufactured, they'd said, let's print a mold and see how this works. So this has been done before, as in let's do a mold and then I, I want to do one, one or two pieces. So I can print a mold out of some ABS or something that can handle the temperatures of the autoclave a couple of times. Then they'll put it in the bag. They'll, um, you know, put the uh, car- carbon fiber. They'll do all the prep work, shove it in the autoclave. And then the mold is essentially disposable at that point. Mm-hmm. But in this one, they've gone through 250 autoclave cycles with this resin mold, and they have not seen any... With one mold. With one mold. Any deterioration of surface quality, um, material uh, capability. And they've done testing throughout the entire life of this cycle, uh, 250 autoclave cycles. So I find this a, a fairly interesting shift on uh, what we consider consumable tooling to for three different parts, right? Yeah. There's always the thought of, Hey, let's print this thing, use it a couple times, and throw it away. But now you're getting to much more robust materials that can handle uh, these extreme temperature cycles. And it's over and resin. Over again. We're not talking about metal additive. No, correct, correct. It's resin. Now it, it's probably a different resin that you're going to buy from like a desktop yes, printer, yeah, right? It's probably yeah. a little bit different there. It's not, it's not JB Will. <laughs> it's not UV JB Will. <laughs> but I, I think there's a very interesting approach where you know you can, you know obviously the pros and cons if you compare subtractive to an additive part right you can get to the part quicker but the subtractive part generally will last longer so your uh cost over time significantly drops right and that's why you know a lot of long-run parts have these very very robust tools because you pay 10 times the cost up front but you get 100 times the life now you're seeing a very fairly inexpensive resin mold that's getting just almost as long as life as you know uh, a metal part so you know, your costs have significantly come down and your ability to get to parts has again has significantly uh, gone quicker. So I thought there's a very between this and the um, national stock number discussion. I, and I, I think there's a very 
full circle um, happy times for yeah. additive. It's happy times for additive. It's what it, and, and I mentioned this yesterday. I forget what meeting we were in, but uh, I, I think that one of the trends, uh, speaking of tech trends podcast, one of the huge trends for this year, or at least right now, is that no, no, definitely within the last year. One of the huge trends within additive is that plastic is is here to stay. Like, sure. You know, back in 2016, when uh, additive machines, additive was all over uh, the Emerging Technology Center of IMTS, um, people were really only interested in metal additive. Right. And it was at least that way until 2018, maybe even into well into 2019. But plastic not only is here to stay, but plastic additive, polymer additive, composite additive is really showing that, Mm -hmm. you know, in a lot of cases, it's superior to metal. Sure. Yeah. Um, And I like the idea. So we've had discussions with the guys at Oak Ridge about everyone's pushing for additive to be in the production environment. It's like, sure, that could be a end state, but there's still so much value in additive and tooling and just in the production environment. Oh, yeah. We have there's significant low hanging fruit that I think the industry can definitely capitalize on. Yeah. I mean, one of the uh, other articles that I had in this week's tech report coming out Friday uh, is how 3D printing or metal additive is being used to produce these new fuel injectors for um, um, a turbo fan, a turbine engine for uh, uh, helicopters. I think I I forget what the brand is. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. The brand that makes the engines for Airbus helicopters. Okay, But uh, they additively produce their fuel injectors. Mm. And, you know, the complex geometries that you can achieve with additive and specifically the internal complex geometries, which in this case turns into complex internal plumbing of a fuel injector. You tweak that stuff. We see Porsche all the time. Every year they come out with like, you know, how they've managed to squeeze an extra 20 horsepower (laughs) out of the same displacement engine is just by fiddling around with some of the plumbing in an intake plenum or something like that. You do that with fuel injection on a really big scale, high power scale thing like a uh, uh, helicopter motor. And now these, this company is reporting, you know, with this complex plumbing of their fuel injector, they're getting a 15% boost in uh, combustion efficiency. Oh, that's huge. It's really huge. It's reduced emissions. Yep. It's higher performance. It's it's everything that you want. Yeah. Especially with a helicopter, which seems like they're really inefficient. <laughs> I love to fly in a helicopter, though. Yeah. Flying in helicopters fun. That's a lot of fun. All right, man. Where can they find more info about us? AMTonline.org slash resources. That's where you'll get all of our news, our, our tech reports or newsletters. And, of course, uh, links to our podcasts. Awesome. Bye, everyone. Bye.